time for sports and all. Do join us on Facebook Live if you possibly can. I think you might want to join in today. It's been building up over the weeks, especially when it comes to F1, and today it's going to come to F1. Hello, Danny. Good morning. Yeah, I thought we'd... Uh, I, know, I know everyone loves it when we talk F1 on here, so I thought we'd do it. We've got the Russian Grand Prix this weekend. But a number of landmarks that... Uh, well, yet another one for Lewis Hamilton. If he wins the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi this weekend, he will equal the all-time mark of Michael Schumacher, mm. 91 pre-wins. He's already gone past his, uh, well, Schumacher had 68 pole positions. Lewis Hamilton's got 95 way out in front. Uh, 155 podiums for Schumacher. Hamilton passed that a few races ago. He's now on 158. Mm-hmm. And uh, he can equal his 91 wins. Schumacher, of course, still we don't really know what sort of condition he's in, unfortunately, after his skiing accident, what, six years ago now, ended up in a coma and um, various reports on Schumacher's health. We, we hope we see him again and we hope he recovers to some extent, although not looking good. But mm. Lewis Hamilton, obviously, uh, flavour of the month at the moment, what, six Grand Prix wins out of nine this season, uh, 90, as we say, going for his 91st. And uh, um, he's been talking, he's been asked on, on the media day yesterday about what it would mean to uh, equal Michael Schumacher's record. Of course, Schumacher was still racing when, when Hamilton started out and won his first championship in 2008. But yeah. uh, he was asked what it would mean to, to equal the great Schumacher's record. And, and Lewis Hamilton said, you know, he... he it, it sort of seems unreal, and uh, he doesn't know what he'll do when it happens. Uh, if it happens, it's going to happen at some stage. I'm not quitting anytime soon, so I don't know. I can't tell you how I'm going to feel or what it's going to mean or if it's going to mean anything. Uh, you know, there's other bigger issues and things happening in the world. So, uh, But of course it's an honour. Of course it's an honour. Yeah, it's an honour, and um, other drivers have been asked about it, of course, because uh, a few few other landmarks are going to be passed this weekend. I mean, Kimi Raikkonen is going to equal Ruben Barrichello's all-time race starts of 322 uh, this weekend and obviously go past it later in the season uh, as landmarks go. But, uh, you know, Sebastian Vettel, four times world champion, fellow German of Michael Schumacher, obviously would have grown up with, with Schumacher as his idol, was asked about... Uh, Hamilton's achievement and and the the inevitability really of Hamilton equaling and then going past Schumacher's record at some point mm. and um, it's a bit of a funny one for Sebastian because he said he, you know he'll have mixed emotions when it happens. On one hand, I for sure will be sad because Michael is still my hero. Um, on the other hand, I will be very happy for Lewis. I think he deserves all the success he ha he has had in the last years and uh, he is going to have in. This year, and uh, uh, I don't know if he remains, um, but I guess so, in the next years. So, um, yeah, uh, a bit half-half. Yeah, it's been astonishing, really, isn't it, Lewis Hamilton's sort of consistency over the last few years with Mercedes. I know he's had the best team, but he's still got to drive the car. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he's well on course to equal Schumacher's uh, seven world championships this season, and who's to say he won't break that as well next season. So, all the records fall into Lewis Hamilton at the moment, and uh, he just looks untouchable, doesn't he? I, given a, given a race where the, an incident-free race, shall we say, um, he looks pretty much untouchable up there. And mm. this has sort of sparked talk again this week of 
you know, Formula One trying to level the playing field through artificial means and talk again of this sort of reverse grid races, at least in qualifying, have a have a reverse grid sprint race where uh, so the teams at the top of the championship start at the back and, and so on. So the team at the bottom, in which case would be Williams, would start at the front and then they have a sprint race where uh, to decide the positions for the grid for the Grand Prix. Um, What's the feeling in, ge- said, in general? Most drivers seem to be against it. I mean, right. I, and to me, it's sort of against the spirit of racing. You know, the, there's traditions in sport, and the tradition in motor racing is you have qualifying, and the fastest person in qualifying gets to the front of the grid. You have a situation where you have a starting grid on a Sunday made up of, uh, well, the fastest people won't necessarily be at the front. Um, and the drivers feel that, you know, over a Grand Prix race, that it's not going to make that much difference. Mercedes will still win at the moment. And um, it's all a bit artificial. And I remember, I don't know if you remember four or five seasons ago, uh, I think it was when they tried to tinker with qualifying to try and make it more exciting. They had this 90-second rolling qualifying elimination. So every 90 seconds, the slowest car was eliminated. They tried it for a couple of Grand Prix. I think Melbourne and, and Bahrain and uh, had to ditch it because basically it got to the last 20 minutes of the session. Everybody was happy. Everybody was happy with their position on the grid. Uh, they knew they couldn't go any faster than the car in front of them. So all the cars went back in the garage and the spectators were sat watching an empty track. What's the feeling from the official side to tinker with this part of the race? The feeling is to try and get some more uh, exciting racing, more overtaking. So if you've got mm. the faster car, the back because we've seen in the last couple of races uh, at Mugello uh, and Monza both in Italy when there's been incidents and multiple safety cars and crashes and penalties where you know that the, the the order of the, of cars in the race um, because of incidents have sort of ended up not in the order they started that we've seen some exciting races right. you know we've seen Hampton fight back from last to get in the points we've seen Pierre Gasly uh, win a race. We've mm. seen um, some exciting overtaking. We've also seen some major crashes with faster cars on a restart at Mugello uh, crashing into slower cars in front of them and um, some very dangerous incidents. And the feeling amongst the drivers is, you know, they don't want it. And uh, Max Verstappen, Red Bull, you know, probably the third, probably the only the driver on equal machinery could rival Hamilton at the moment for speed. Yeah. Uh, he was asked about this reverse grid um, idea being mooted again and uh, he like most drivers is dead against it I don't like it it's just artificial and, and trying to create a show which I think it's not what Formula 1 Formula One stands stands for I don't know it's just not my thing I, uh, the fast car should be in the front that's what everyone works for so why would you try and manipulate the show and at the end of the day probably cars will end up in the same position anyway but it just not what Formula One is about. It needs to be about pure performance, and uh, that's what you work for. You want to be the most dominant and competitive team out there, and you want to start on on the first row. Um, yeah, so I I don't like it. Yeah, it's um, it, you know he doesn't like it. And I don't think people do. I mean, uh, apart from it seems the bosses at Formula One who seem to be. Coming back to this idea time and again to try, I think they've got to look at more fundamentals in the sport if they want to see faster, tighter racing and more overtaking. That is enabling the cars or changing the regulations to enable the cars to race closely, to get rid of the situation where 
the fastest tyres are only good, it seems, for about one lap, and then they just start going off. And um, yeah, they're, they're, they're the softest Pirelli compounds. So you don't, and drivers have to preserve fuel and tyres during a race. So there's very few laps in which they can race flat out, wheel to wheel. Um, aerodynamics come into this, keeping tyres tires cool and so on. And uh, I think the whole, the cars are very wide now. They got bigger a couple of years ago. They're, you know, they're almost two metres wide. That's, it doesn't leave a lot of room on tight tracks to get Certainly past someone. Not. You've got a car. I mean, it's as wide as a bulldozer. You know, it's, it's incredible. Wide. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's a you'd have trouble parking that if, if your <laughs> car was wide, you'd have trouble finding a space to fit it in in a in a Hong Kong car park. Put it that way. Um, so I think you know some of the fundamentals of the, the the they are changing some of the regulations next year and and with a with a view to. Uh, get, getting closer racing, and well, let's see how those work out first. But I, yeah. I agree with the drivers here and, and other people. So you can't do something so artificial. I mean, you know, you, you, you're looking at like a T20 of, of you know, in cricket, a Formula One having maybe a 20-lap sprint race with cars all in order in the wrong way to try it. I, I don't get it. He's throwing lots at you this morning. I know a lot of people listening love their motor racing so see what you think. Join us on Facebook Live. Stick up your comments. We've got about 10 more minutes together. I'd actually really like to hear what you think, especially if you're au okay with all the various rules and things that are going on. Yeah, and, and if you've got any better ideas than, than I have, <laughs> all the Formula One people as to how to make racing more exciting and more more like we've seen in recent weeks, but without the crashes, maybe because you know it's got a bit hairy at times, and and we all like to see thrills and spills, but um, there's there's a fine line between thrills and spills and putting drivers in danger. Um, but moving on, uh, it's not just Formula One this week. Yeah, busy, busy sports time, despite the fact you know we're still without spectators and atmosphere and all thing. French Open tennis uh, Grand Slam starts on Sunday. Um, they're hoping to get some crowds in there. They're talking about up to 5,000 spectators per day into Roland Garros, which will be great and provide some sort of atmosphere. You know, we just had the US Open with no fans, which I think went off okay, but, you know, it just doesn't quite grab you as much, certainly as an armchair viewer. Um, be some new looks at, at Roland Garros. Uh, the court Philippe Chatrier, the Senate court there, has now got a roof, and it's a spectacular-looking thing, so look out for that. Hopefully we'll, we'll prevent, you know... Uh, play being interrupted by the weather as much as it's been done in the past. And mm. that's probably quite important considering we're in September in Paris, uh, whereas this would normally be yeah, staged in May. I mean, Europe starting to turn to from summer to autumn. Um, you know, the weather, as we know, can be a bit dodgy in that part of the world. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the main storyline is going to be Rafa Nadal, who missed the US Open to concentrate on clay. He'd be going for his, uh, well, extend his record run in the in the French Open, going for his 13th title at Roland Garros. And if he gets it, he'll equal Roger Federer's all-time Grand Slam mark of, of 20 Grand Slam triumphs. So uh, um, he's not going to have it too easy, though, because the man he's had to beat in the last two kind of epic finals in the French, Dominic Thiem, mm. who just won the US Open and is now a Grand Slam champion himself, is in the same half of the draw as Rafa. So... Uh, uh, they will they will be seeded to meet in the semi-finals this year. They won't be meeting in the final again, and it means Novak Djokovic obviously is in the other half of the draw. Um, so Nadal will basically face the prospect of having to beat the probably the two best players apart from him 
who are there with Roger Federer missing injured, um, Dominic Thiemann and Novak Djokovic, if he's going to achieve that record. Um, on the women's side, unfortunately, we've got no defending champion, Ash Barty of Australia, who's decided to skip the travelling and the rest of the season, the mm. quarantine and all that. And you can hardly blame her coming from Australia, where they've got their own problems with this virus. So Simona Halep, uh, will, world number one, and uh, uh, yeah, Wimbledon champion last year, she will start as rightly as favourite. But a draw was made overnight uh, for the first round, and it's thrown up one one really intriguing clash because Andy Murray on the comeback trail, of course, Great Britain, three-time Grand Slam champion, twice uh, twice at Wimbledon, once US Open, of course. Um, he last played at Roland Garros in Paris in 2017 because of his injuries. And in that, that year, he lost to Stan Varinka, uh, also a multiple Grand Slam champion, of course, in the semi-final. And... Um, would you believe in his very next game now at Roland Garros after that, he's been drawn against Stan Varinka uh, in the first round. So that's going to be a real highlight to watch out for. Murray against Varinka in the first round. Uh, uh, all starts on Sunday in Paris. So that'll be sort of uh, 11 o'clock in the morning in Paris. So what's that? So it's going to be about five o'clock in the afternoon, our time. So uh, good time for us to be watching here in Hong Kong. Um just going to mention, uh, moving on, we, the NBA, uh, of course, is in the Eastern Western Conference final stage at the moment. Eastern Conference final, Miami Heat leading the Boston Celtics 3-1 in that best of seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, game five tomorrow. They can seal their place in the championship final, Miami Heat. At 8.30 a.m. tomorrow morning if you want to watch that, game five. But going on as I speak, uh, the L.A. Lakers are playing the Denver Nuggets. We've got... Uh, just looking at 59 seconds to go in the game. And the Lakers, 2-1 up in the series, are 109-104 ahead against the Nuggets. Looks like they're going to go 3-1 up in the series. It's been a real tight one. This is 60-55 at halftime. I've been watching it before I came on air this morning. Um, it was 87-84 to the Lakers at the end of the third quarter. And they've got a five-point lead now with just under a minute to go. So never been more than about five, seven points in it, really, all through the match. So... Um, uh, Nuggets giving it a good go against LeBron James at Al, but uh, it looks like the Lakers might take a, a pretty decisive 3-1 lead. So, um, yep, still, they must have a timeout because it's still 59 seconds to go. Um, so it looks like it could be the Heat, LeBron, one of LeBron James' previous clubs, of course, uh, from Miami against the Lakers in the champion, NBA Championship Finals starting next week. So, uh We'll talk about that when they get to the final stage a bit more next week. But right. uh, just keeping that. And, and uh, another point, 110, 104. That's absolutely live with 58 seconds to go. So uh, Lakers looking like they're going to extend that lead. But uh, finally, I thought we'd talk a bit, bit of football this morning. Uh, we always talk football, but uh, try to put it a little bit on the back burner this week. There's so much going on, isn't there? Overnight, Bayern Munich added to their uh, Champions League crown with a UEFA Super Cup victory. Uh, 2-1 extra time over Sevilla. Javi Martinez got the winner uh, after it was 1-1 at full time. But looking at the Premier League this week, a um, few interesting, you know, third week of the Premier League. Things starting to sort themselves out now. Every game, every club's had a couple of games and a couple of League Cup games. And we're kind of getting a feel for who's in form, who's not, who's starting the season well. And we kick off tomorrow with Brighton against Man United. Now, everyone fancied Man United under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer this year. And uh, to, to kick on from their third place finish, fourth place finish last season, uh, top four anyway. But they got turned over and they were abject, weren't they, against Crystal Palace last week, lost 3-1 and now they've got uh, 
Now they've got an away trip to Brighton, who are scoring goals for fun. Beat Newcastle 3-0 last week. Look very potent up front with uh, Morpé. And uh, they got this lovely right, new right-back, Lamptey, 19-year-old. Look very impressive. Uh, Man United, you know, they're already... They're always under pressure, aren't they? Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, they're already under pressure. Really can't afford to drop two in a row. Um, so that kicks us off tomorrow, 7.30 in the evening, kick-off our time. Now when you've got... Following that tomorrow, we've got uh, two... Teams at the top of the table, Crystal Palace and Everton, both won both their games so far. Everton have looked really, really solid. We've brought in some good players, haven't they? Amas Rodriguez, and uh, they've got Calvert-Lewin looking potent up front with Richarlison, the Brazilian, and Ancelotti, a manager who got vast amount of experience. Everton really going great guns at the moment. We've got West Brom against Chelsea. Chelsea got a bit of an awakening, rude awakening, didn't they? Their pretensions against Liverpool last week. Uh, found that they're still really not quite there. Uh, looking ahead to Sunday, uh, Tottenham v Newcastle. Interesting one. Newcastle, both these teams have had one great win and one abject defeat, really, in their games so far. But mm. fancy Tottenham having turned around uh, uh, and, and started scoring goals uh, with Son and, and Harry Kane probably to sneak that one. And Newcastle got a few problems under Steve Bruce. And then Man City against Leicester City. Leicester City top of the shop at the moment. Again, always... Always punching above their weight, it seems, Leicester City. Man City, only the one game so far, but an impressive win. So, uh, Let's have a quick question, Danny, because we've got about two minutes left together. Uh, I, sure. I'm really sorry. This I'm looking at the new Facebook thing, and it's just doing my head in. Yeah. So I've missed a couple. Um, Nick, yeah. Nick says, without fans, how will smaller clubs survive? Looking at Europe's COVID numbers, yeah. no fans for a long time. P.S. Come back to this. He says, come on, Danny, how much is Ferrari in a total mess? But let's concentrate on his football comment. Yeah, absolutely. I think while we talk, I always talk, obviously, we we talk because we see it on TV and about the top end of the, of the you know, the Liverpools, the Arsenals, the Man Citys, the Tottenham's and the Man United's and so on. But, you know, they've, they've got money in the bank. They've also got TV money. They've got TV rights money with no fans. Man United are supposed to be losing five million uh, gate receipts every, every home game, but yeah. they can suffer that for a while. But, yeah, the lower league clubs, Without fans, without the bread and butter, without the, the three quid, gone. five, seven quid through the turnstile and the guys buying the programmes and the cups of teas, even if they only have two, three hundred fans a week in the in the lower non-league divisions, that is vital, vital money for them. Yeah. And uh, they don't have TV money to rely on. And a lot of clubs are going to go to a wall, I'm afraid, uh, without some sort of intervention from maybe money filtering down from the top clubs, from the leagues and from the government. Has that been mentioned? I mean, that makes sense, looking after your own kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it has. And I think they're going to have to because at the end of the day, where do your players come from? Not every Premier League club can fill its uh, squad with highly expensive imports. Mm. Players have to develop somewhere. Premier League clubs have vast squads. They send a lot of their players out on loan to lower division clubs, to non-league clubs even. Um, and they need, and they use them as a proving ground and 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 and, a, and, a, and a, an academy, an if you like, incubator. to develop their players. Yeah, to develop their players into into hardened match players who can play ninety minutes rather than fancy boys on the training field. All right, Danny. Well, this is where we've got to leave it because it's news time. Danny Hicks back with us next week at the same time. Thank you very much.